have you ever been told that all you would get for Christmas is coal in your stocking? Anybody ever told that? I see a lot of liars out here. <laughs> Better yet, have you ever actually gotten coal in your stocking? Even oh, Thank you. I can just imagine, uh, Randy. <laughs> Uh, According to Wikipedia, threatening to put coal in a person's uh, stocking is an old tradition in Western culture that parents would use with a child who has been naughty uh, rather than nice. Santa would put coal in their stocking, you know, instead of giving uh, a toy. And uh, I know my grandmother would always say, you know, you kids always get toys. Um, We used to get fruit. And uh, fruit was right up there with coal in my stocking, right? (laughs) Give me a toy, Santa. Uh, But it's a you-get-what-you-deserve approach to Christmas. And it works, right? If you threaten your child that you're going to tell Santa that uh, they're not going to get anything if they have been naughty, it usually works. You can use it right up until Christmas Eve because it is still possible to get the word out to Santa uh, last minute. Well, what we've heard this morning from Isaiah is just the opposite of that approach, of the you-get-what-you-deserve approach. God wanted Israel to know that they could rejoice, and that is our our watchword for the day. And if you've been keeping up, uh, the first candle was hope, and uh, then the next one was prepare. And if you look at some of the pictures there, you'll see uh, we've been in Isaiah and different... uh, depictions of of Isaiah and some of the things that were going on during his time. But now we're over on this wall. Our third Sunday of Advent is uh, about rejoicing. And the scripture you've heard today is about rejoicing. Uh, The one we just heard uh, about Mary, Mary's song, the Magnificat. She is so excited. She is rejoicing, not just pondering these things in her heart, Quietly, she is singing about them. She is understanding about these words that Isaiah gave long ago. But they could rejoice in knowing that there would be no coal involved. They were able to get back home. There are uh, different Isaiahs. As as we look at Isaiah, as we learn from archaeology and and from uh, being able to, to look more closely... Uh, The Dead Sea Scrolls definitely helped with all of this as well. That there's more than one Isaiah. This would be uh, what's referred to as third Isaiah. Isaiah who is writing to uh, the Israelites after they have left Babylon. Uh, Cyrus has released them and uh, allowed them to go back home. So they get to Israel. And it is there that they need to hear some more good news. They've been hearing it. For 50 or so years back in Babylon. And now they are coming back home and they are hearing this that it is something that they could rejoice in. God was giving them a beautiful gift, not punishment. As Isaiah puts it, they would receive a garland instead of ashes. I don't know how many of you get a garland for Christmas. Maybe the closest thing would be a wreath that is uh, on the door. And we think about the uh, garland or the evergreen that goes around at Advent 
uh, wreath. It reminds us of something that is everlasting. But for them, this was the cherished gift, a trophy that would be awarded for someone if they got married uh, or for uh, a winner or a victor in battle. It was a highly sought-after ornament of beauty. Ashes, however, were unwanted as they signified loss and mourning. If you were here for uh, our Ash Wednesday service this past year or the years before, you, you remember coming up to the front and getting ashes on your forehead. And you heard that phrase, from ashes we came to da- ashes we shall return, or something like that. Uh, I'll remember it when it comes back around. Yes. Whatever it is, it's a depressing kind of thing. We remember our mortality. We remember our sins. And we remember to repent. And so ashes were something that represented for them loss and mourning. But a garland, a garland was for victory. It was for joy. And God wanted Israel to see themselves and their circumstances in a whole new way. And this was a difficult task for them as they were confronted with the reality of loss. So as they get back home, they've been longing for home. They've been singing about home. They've been talking about it and and seeing it in their dreams. They were ready to get back home. And when they got home, their city was in ruins. The temple was in ruins. Everything around them had fallen down. And so this was a devastating and depressing sight to behold. But they wondered how they would ever rebuild their homes and their lives and their businesses, how they would ever put their families back together. And many of them had lost family members during this time of exile. But most importantly, how they would ever get the temple put back together. Well, no doubt they had trouble seeing anything beyond the rubble. And so God sends Isaiah to change their outlook. Much like if someone comes into your life when you, you are at rock bottom. You don't think that there's any hope left. And someone comes into your life to give you words of encouragement. Those are cherished people, aren't they? Maybe it's a note. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's just someone uh, putting their arm around you saying, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. And this is something that was encouragement uh, to them as God would send Isaiah to change their outlook. That God would use him to cast a new vision, a vision for restoration. To say, don't look at all that stuff. Don't stare at it. Recognize there's something new for you to see. And I'm going to paint a picture with my words to help you understand what that is going to be. Something that was to be. In particular, they were to see beauty, not ashes. Well, you can't watch TV these days without having to scroll past a plethora of home fixer-upper uh, fixer shows. Right? How many of you like those shows? How many of you hate them? Okay, much we, we won on that one. There's Fixer Upper, Flip Flop Texas, Flip Flop Fort Worth, Texas Flip and Move, Flip That House, Flip This House, This Old House, Rehab Addict, Renovation Realities, Bath Crashers, Property Brothers, 
house doctor. If walls could talk, Louisiana flip and flop. Straight plan for the gay man. Seriously. And extreme makeover, just to name a few. It's amazing how popular such an unpleasant and expensive job can be. Maybe the reason that we watch these shows is that we like watching other people in pain, right? (laughs) Going through the misery of restoration. They say that that is one of the the leading uh, contributing factors to divorces. Restoration. The other one is marriage. (laughs) Or maybe it's that we genuinely love the before and after of something old that is dilapidated, getting renewed and repurposed. Much like the barn guys who go out and get the old barn wood and they're able to to move it and restore it and make something new out of it. Maybe in some way, watching these shows gives us hope for our own homes or maybe our own lives. Like Israel returning from exile to a city that is in absolute ruins, so we are in need of restoration, aren't we? Couldn't you and I use a little bit of restoration these days? What restoration requires is vision. It requires a vision. We must have a vision of what is to be. And we aren't to spend our time staring at the rubble of our lives. We're not to spend our time looking at all of the debris of what once was. No, we are instead to see how God wants to put all of those pieces back together to make something new. So this morning, do you find that you are looking more at the rubble? Looking more at all of the the pieces that are scattered? Maybe that you scattered or maybe from something that's happened in your life that, that scattered you in all different locations? Or are you looking at a God who can bring the pieces back together and even make something new? Well, this is God's restoration show, right? This is how God does it. He calls it beauty for ashes. I don't know if he would call it that, but that's what I would recommend for God to call his show. It, however, isn't something that we sit back and watch from the comfort of our couches. It is a reality show that requires our full participation, our sweat equity, that we get out there and we help God do all of this, that God wants to do something brand new. God gives us a vision and invites us to see it and to work in it, to bring it to be. So I wonder, where are you in that work? Or where are we in that work? Are we catching God's vision for what and who we are to be? The universal church is in decline, experiencing attrition in membership, attendance, and influence in our society. And religious pollsters have done a lot of work on this throughout the years and have discovered that people are rejecting the church not so much out of anger, but for irrelevance. The church just isn't irrelevant. Let's be honest. Most people who get up 
on a Sunday morning are not thinking, wow, I really should be in church this morning. They're not. I mean, we want to make them feel guilty, don't we, uh, for not being here. And you can do that. You have my permission to make them feel guilty. <laughs> All the people who aren't here today. But most people in this city, in this world, are saying, why would I go to church? I've never been to church. Or I did, but that was a long time ago. Why would I go to church? There, there's really no reason for me to go to church. What they see of church and the news and politics and the, in the lives of people who attend church is often hypocrisy. I mean, you ask someone who doesn't go to church, why? Why don't you go to church? Oh, it's just nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And you know the answer to that, right? Well, come be one more of them. <laughs> Self-centeredness. They see the church as being all about itself, all about an institution, all about this kingdom that they are developing that seems quite different from God's intended kingdom. Or they see it about legalism and fundamentalism. Many churches around the world, and especially here in the United States, are in denial of this, don't you think? Thinking that all that is needed is more fervor. You know, if that pastor would start yelling and banging, banging on the pulpit, <laughs> then things would get better. People would get in line. Or maybe bigger and better buildings. If we'll just build it, they will come. Or hipper music. <laughs> if they just had hipper music or maybe a fog machine or something, then uh, it would be better. Or more Christian channels. If we just had more Christian channels, more satellites that could project our weirdness out into the world. Or maybe Christian movies. If we had more Christian movies, more people would get saved and the world would be a better place and our churches would fill up. Some churches that have tried all of these and found them wanting have decided to just circle the wagons. They're going to fight till the very last one is standing and fight for preservation. Wouldn't the church of today be more effective if we all caught God's vision, not for preservation, but for restoration? seeing beauty instead of ashes. What about us? What about us as individuals? Are we more focused on the destruction in our lives than on the beauty of what God can bring from it? Think about what could happen in your life if you allowed God's vision of restoration to capture your eye's focus. What could happen if you join God's work of forgiveness liberation, and healing. What could happen? Imagine what you will become as you lift your eyes from the ashes of the past to see the beauty of what God is making you to be. That's what Mary saw. Mary saw the need for restoration for her people, her family, her world. And she saw that it was coming in Jesus Imagine how you can rejoice right now, surrounded by the ashes, yet dancing on them wildly as you see that God is doing 
a new thing. Let us pray.